Why do you look for the living among the dead? On that first Easter morning, the women who came to care for the dead body of Jesus found what they didn't expect and didn't find what they expected. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb and no body inside. The women were not looking for the living among the dead. They were looking for the dead among the dead. And the announcement of the resurrection of Jesus flips their expectations, indeed their world, upside down. Think about it, if this were true, it would change everything. Our lives are plagued by the unceasing march of time and the looming shadow of our own mortality. It's not just that we will die, though I'll admit that's a pretty big deal. If death has the last word, then life is meaningless. After all, what's the point of working for justice or creating beautiful works of art or improving our character if death will wipe away all our efforts forever? In his recent novel, Light Perpetual, Francis Buffer describes our human situation this way. That's time for you. It breaks things up. It scatters them. It cannot be run backwards to summon the dust to rise any more than you can stir milk black back out of tea. Once sundered, forever sundered. Once scattered, forever scattered. It's irreversible. But what has gone is not just their present existence. It's all the futures they won't get to. All the would-bes, might-bes, could-bes of the decades to come. How can that loss be measured? How can that loss be known except by laying this absence now and onwards against some other version of the reel of time where might be and could be and would be still may be? In the Bible, that other re version of the reel of time is not only a possibility, it's a promise. Scattered across the pages of Scripture, God promises to bring new beginnings and new life to this world haunted by finality and death. The imagery in today's reading from Isaiah is meant to point toward that new order that God promises one day to bring, where there will be no weeping or distress and fruitful, enduring, abundant life in his presence. The resurrection of Jesus is the vindication of that promise the down payment toward that future new creation. So what do the disciples make of this incredible announcement? At first, they think it sounds like an idle tale. How very modern of them. Actually, they should have believed the women, those God chose as the first heralds of the resurrection. Even Peter, who runs to the tomb, leaves confused, not sure what to make of it. In the rest of this chapter, Luke goes on to explain how the disciples moved from perplexity to stunned belief. We might have a hard time understanding why it took them so long to grasp what had happened. After all, Jesus told them about it in advance, and then it happened just like he said. But, of course, we're used to this Easter story. We have to try to imagine how it would have sounded on that first Easter day. 
To the first disciples, it was so radically new and so contrary to everything they thought they knew. The ancients knew just as well as we do that the dead stay dead. The Greek playwright Aeschylus, for example, famously wrote, when the dust has drunk the blood of men, no resurrection comes for one who's dead. And for the Jews, it was even more difficult. The Jews of Jesus' day did believe in a bodily resurrection, but it was a resurrection of all the faithful at the end of history, not one individual in the middle of it. It was inconceivable that someone would be raised from the dead before the last day, for the resurrection meant the end of history and the beginning of God's kingdom on earth. So when the disciples hear the women's report, they are understandably confused. Then Luke tells us that two disciples meet the risen Jesus on the road to Emmaus. So they rush back to Jerusalem to tell the others and to find out that in the meantime, Jesus has appeared to Peter as well. Still stunned by this news and not entirely sure what to make of it, Jesus appears to all of them together and rather humorously offers his risen body to them for their empirical investigation. Now it's easy to read this and think this is just a story about an event in, a distant, in the distant past, but we are actually in the same position as those first disciples. We have heard the women's announcement of the resurrection. We have heard the testimony of those who saw him, who touched him, who shared a meal with him, and we can still have an experience of the risen Jesus today. You see, this story did not end on that first Easter morning. The reality of the resurrection turned the life of the first disciples upside down, from despondency to hope. It turned the world upside down as the liberating message of the gospel spread rapidly across the empire. And it has been turning lives upside down ever since, transforming lives down to this very day. So what are we to make of this remarkable claim? Is it just an idle tale? Today we gather to announce that there is a resurrection for the dead. Today we gather to bear witness to the God of unexpected endings, who shines light where there is darkness, who brings peace where there is conflict, who brings new life out of death. God does not promise us a life free from pain and loss. He promises to walk with us in our troubles. God does not promise us a world free from evil and injustice. He promises that truth and life will have the final victory. God does not promise us immunity from the march of time and our own mortality. He promises a future on the other side of every dead end, including death itself. I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard or the cry of distress. They shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Come, other future. Come, mercy not manifest in time. Come, undivided light. Today we celebrate the dawning of a new day. 
Alleluia, Christ is risen.